Welcome to the 45th episode of Amateur Hour. Danny and Darren, and you, and you've subscribed, and you've liked, and you've left comments, and that's why you're here, and we appreciate it. Now, spread the word, because we know we're a niche, but not that much. I mean, if you're into elite people, how they reach their goals, how they set out to go against challenges that jump up in front of them, because we all have them, and these guests have them, it's not really that niche at all. I mean, it doesn't matter where you go in life, you can learn. And, and Danny did it again. Danny, you've really produced a great show because if, here's a simple way to look at it. Let's, let's get back into the niche, the draft prospects that play college baseball, okay? When you talk about Jacob Kozar, catcher, NC State, when you look ahead right now at Perfect Games' most recent draft, 200, he's number one. That's high school. That's college. He is the number one ranked catcher as we project ahead to the draft of 2024. What I like about Jacob, the homeschooled athlete, we love his parents. Craig, of course, a longtime coach, a great scout with Perfect Game. Mom, Michelle, I think you'd tell me the rock of the home. Um, the homeschooled athlete who now is all man off in college uh, doesn't rest on any of those laurels. As a matter of fact, still gets, quote, as we will hear, goosebumps that he learns that his dad is getting goosebumps watching him play. I think for the number one catcher in the land, going ahead to the draft next year, the game's in good hands. I was excited to learn about his evolution as a catcher because we hear all this fancy talk right now about the offensive catcher and how it's not that every catcher in the big leagues is just preferring defense or just focusing on defense. I think if you actually look around the league right now, we might have one of the best catching classes, so to speak, that we've ever had. The athletic catcher is is alive and I think I mean we saw that in the World Series you saw that with Jonah Heim and Gabby Moreno and that's the trend that we're at but before you get to that part you have to figure out what fits you what suits you Jacob Cozart is big he's a big kid he's tall and so how does how does he work into his body and does he put a knee down does he keep one up what is best for him and and you're working with different people and different coaches and so I like to learn about where he's at as his evolution in the position goes and he's been doing it forever right and how cool is it that he's got two brothers one older and one younger who both pitch and you, of course, have dad, but then mom, you mentioned mom too. So they're constantly playing. They're constantly pl probably playing catch, probably throwing bullpens. And so this is just his life. He eats, sleeps, and breathes catching and playing baseball. And I think that when he gets to the big league level, he is going to fit right in. Yeah, he's going to go quickly. I mean, it was interesting. You know, you were there too as an attendee and had a, had a, had a lot of fun, but to be around at the plaza in New York, as I was able to do and have interviews with Jonah Heim and then Gabby Moreno, yeah. two totally different sized catchers, right? And, and two guys that are elite at their game. But I, I do think you're right. I think if you look at Heim, who's so proud of where he's come defensively and you like it in the Cozart, you're not far off in that mm -hmm. comp because they're both broad shouldered tall athletes who can get very low and, you know, go and show that strike catching down up as they all are taught. I don't do it well, but that's what they all are taught. And so it's incredible. Now, you had a conversation with one of my favorite PG alums of all time. Uh, I covered him for two years at Stanford. As the pack folds, he leaves Stanford. Stanford's going to be just fine, and they'll be fine without him. But I love who he is as a human. I love his family. His mom, Gretchen, is a 
is a rock is a strength, another reference to a strong mom. Braden made a bold choice. He left a school that went to the World Series in succession two years in a row. And it's Stanford. It's just special. It's unique. But he went to another special school. And I love the fact that he made that bold choice. Give us a few just nuggets. I haven't heard the conversation. You flew solo on this one. What are some of the, if I'm going to pull a few appetizers out, some of the neat things you learned from Braden currently from Braden? You hit the nail on the head with mom. We obviously touched on his family and he is so much closer to family now, right? They're from Mississippi, Madison, Mississippi. And so he's all the way out in California. It's harder for family to come to your games and see you play right now. You're in Texas and you'll be traveling around Mississippi to Mississippi. You are in the SEC. And so family, they were very excited about the transfer. I think he's very excited about the coaching staff at Texas A&M, particularly getting to work on the pitching side and how important that is for him to grow into that spot. He still wants to be a two-way He's working on a changeup. He's working refining the changeup a little bit. But I think this, this move for him, he took a lot from Stanford, and he, he was very gracious about what Stanford gave him and the experiences. But he was glowing, talking about how excited he is to get a chance to play for Jim Schlossnagel and play at Texas A&M. And I, I think you'll everything that you just said – that is what Braden is. And we've known him to be this really hardworking kid. That's never wavered. That's never changed. And he is just so excited to get the chance to continue to put the work in. It's interesting how you can change in your life. And it doesn't start when you're an adult and professional. I worked for, you know, a quick personal aside, Wendy Selig Preeb, who is no longer in baseball as a leader. But Wendy's the best boss I ever worked for. And she was incredible until I worked for Derek Hall, who ran the Diamondbacks and believed in me like Wendy. And I learned from both. And I left one by choice. Then I left the other not by choice. And I'm certainly glad that I had really influential, strong, totally different people to mm -hmm. impact my development as he is doing. These are two of the best coaches in college baseball. He's only going to be at Texas A&M for one year. And he does have the influence of Coach Loss, but he also has Esky with him, too. A big part of him is Esky. And... I'm glad to hear that it's a positive, positive, because that's the way to go through life. He's always been that way. By the way, on the pitching side, 32 and two-thirds college innings, 47 strikeouts, a whole bunch of walks. He's going to have to alleviate that. Yeah. Um, but he throws high 90s. So for all of our listeners out there, like, this guy could be a two-way player. The skills have been there all the way back to high school. We saw him play travel ball for the teams that he played for. All right, let's do it. You produced a great one. The other part of it that we need to, to throw out there, we'll take a piece of Perfect Game College Baseball. You can always catch a brand new edition on Perfect Game TV. And we tell you to download the Perfect Game TV app to any of your smart devices. We're 24-7, brand new live events. Heck, Danny recently called a, a live championship. She was in New York. The championship was in Texas. Nine and 11 U States championships. Um, we're doing live events all the time. We have great college shows as well. And we'll take a piece of perfect game college baseball. Hunter Pence is my co-host and a little bit of the conversation he had with Tracy Smith, the head coach of Michigan. Some interesting thoughts. He even had some thoughts in the unique situation on how his school has handled the football team. Everyone wants to talk about it. But what's Tracy's perspective on it? Not weighing in with a hot take like the rest of us would do. But he's a coach. He's a colleague of Harbaugh's. You'll enjoy his thoughts. And I could add, and here we go with the pot. <laughs>
I love catchers and everyone that listens to this podcast or any content that we do around Perfect Game, and Danny's tired of hearing it, our guest won't be tired of hearing it, Jacob Cozart, who's a great catcher uh, at, at NC State. I was raised by a pitcher. He won 300 games. I pitched poorly into A ball. That's as deep as I got, but I was raised to respect catchers. So I get to talk to one. Jacob, thanks for spending time with Danny and I. We really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me. When did it become your position that you loved? Because to do it, you've got to love it. There, there's no really successful catcher out there that just is okay with it. You've got to love it. It's a different mindset. At what point in your life did you realize it was something for you? And then even deeper that you fell passionately in love with the crazy position. Um, yeah, so I've been catching basically since I was eight years old. Dad figured out I could do it pretty well. I had a good hand-eye. Um, he... He, I was blessed that he was able to be a college coach. So at the age of 13, I uh, was a little too old to bad boy for his team. So he was like, hey, throw the gear on and go catch my pitchers. So, of course, the 90-mile-hour college pitchers, as a 13-year-old thinking it's insane, but that's really actually where I learned how to catch, really where I fell in love with it. I started to, like, excel in what I was trying to do and what it took to earn my craft as well. Well, we should let our listeners in on the fact, because we're in this little community, uh, if, our, if our baseball is baseball church at Perfect Game, inside the walls of the church, everybody knows Cozy, not you, but your dad, Craig Cozart. Um, you talked about your dad and his longtime uh, successful coaching run at High Point. Uh, obviously, baseball, a big part of his life. How much of you is because, maybe like me as a ball player's kid, um, your passion for this sport is because it was your playpen. It was your area to hang out it was i'm guessing if you acted up you couldn't go to the ballpark i'm guessing that was a punishment like how much uh, how much of your passion for this game comes from your father's journey every bit of it um they blessed me they homeschooled me up until high school so when he was at the field i could go up there and spend time with him when he was at the field instead of being in the classroom um so i got my school done in the morning and then after that it was strictly baseball so I grew to love it. I grew how I learned how to work hard and earn everything. So every bit of my like will to play the game, so to say, came from my father. I want to go back to Darren's first question about when you first started catching, because I I, I think that right now, especially at the big league level we're seeing a new evolution of the position, or maybe we're just actually going back a little bit in time and refreshing a little bit of the catcher who can also hit, and that's you. But as far as the position goes, learning to 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 play it and love it, because you guys take a lot of lumps back there, and you are the field general. You're the smartest guys on the field. Don't tell anybody that I said that, but I, I think we all know that to be true. So how did you learn to fall in love with everything that comes with being a catcher, because it's not just receiving a pitch and throwing it back. Um, it's, I would say the biggest thing is simply just watching the game. One, you can learn a lot by just simply watching it. Like if you were to watch the World Series, like a guy like me, when I watched the World Series this year, I locked in on those two catchers because they want to go glove. So they're the best at what they do. So um, one, you can watch the game lock in, learn specific cues that they do. And also like just learn on like how to grow relationships with your pitchers, especially if you can grow like a really, really strong bond with your pitcher that like 
there's just that like confidence factor that you give them whenever you set up back there, like you call a pitch and you're like, come on, let's go, let's get this pitch. Like for a good example, me and Logan Whitaker are Friday night for two years. I've caught him for two years straight. So like I have a good repertoire with that guy. So um, me and him work really well together. So I would say that's like kind of like the unwritten side of catching, like knowing how to grow relationships with age and every person on the team. Have your brothers, Caleb and Sam, helped you learn how to grow relationships? Yeah, 100%. Because uh, honestly, they're complete, like two completely different people. Like Sam is, he's kind of a maniac. Um, he, like, he's a guy who could go up there and be like, what the heck are you doing up there? Like, why are you throwing the ball not as hard as you can, so to say? I remember doing that one game freshman year on my senior night. We were playing a team that wasn't that good. He was starting. He was just kind of like lollygagging through it. And I go out there and I kind of get into his grill a little bit. And he came back and struck the next three out and didn't say a word to me the rest of the day. So there's like certain guys you can learn those cues with. Like some guys you can kind of get in them a little bit, get in the grill. Let them know like, hey, you're much better than this. And some guys you got to learn like when to say that stuff. Like you can be like, hey, your stuff's really good today. Just keep making those pitches. Like that's, that's the part that I learned the most from my brothers. And real quick, D, just to follow up, do you, Jacob, do you feel like college has been able to enhance that skill for you? And if so, how, how do you feel like you came into school and how do you feel like, or where do you feel like you are now comparatively? I've grown way better at this in college because back like here at college, you get experience you don't get in high school. Like I was a guy that went wasn't really thinking about the draft out of high school. So I knew that I'd get a good experience out of college and I got to work with say 20 plus pitchers every single year of how to grow a relationship with them. And um, you don't, you just don't get that in high school. Like you have travel ball where the guys are in and out every week where you've got a new set of pitchers, it seems like on those big teams. But in college, you get to work with those guys every single day, like you would in professional. And you don't, like, I think you only get that in college. Man, things happen fast and, and not expecting that you were there when he was playing at, at NC State. But we all watched Patrick Bailey this year. And, you know, it's your job now. Mm -hmm. You rule the roost as he did just 2020. So, like I sit here thinking, okay, you're going to play this year. You, you could be doing the same thing for the fill in the blank for Craig Council's Cubs in 2027, right? Um how much do you allow yourself to, to watch a Patrick Bailey, to see him succeed, to learn from him, and then to also maybe impose yourself into that situation down the road to visually see yourself being him? Yeah, so a little backstory. Me and Patrick Bailey went to the exact same high school, so we had that connection too. Not only do we have the connection through NC State, but we have the same connection through Westlake Christian Academy. Um, so Patrick's someone I look up to big time. I've admire what he does, how hard he's worked. I've seen what he, the way he caught in high school, college, and now professionally and kind of, I would say, learned his cues, what he tries to do and kind of like apply to my own game because the little nerds out of me coming out right here, he was the best strike stealer in the big leagues this year, which is kind of like that unwritten little stat that only baseball nerds know. So... Um, I really lock in on what he tries to do and try to model it to my own game as well. It's interesting. And to steal strikes effectively, if you're, if you're looking at the physical approach to it, 
you can better do that, be more athletic by dropping one knee down and catching from down up. Um, yet you challenge yourself maybe a little bit more on the slider in the dirt, right? The backhand yeah. slider. How have you balanced that? How have you balanced what you've learned, what they're teaching at NC State, what your body's telling you? Heck, Hunter Pence told me earlier today um, that he wished Buster Posey wouldn't have had all those injuries and hip surgery and all that he went through. So how do you balance taking care of your body, stealing strikes, as we talked about, and also maybe the traditional way to catch? How have you balanced through that, that, that act of, of putting them together? I think it goes back to knowing each pitcher. Like there's some pitchers that you can set up on a knee and not have to worry about blocking a pitch that's two feet to your right, so to say. So this year, I have been working on doing that knee down approach. And I've, I think I've found a way that feels comfortable for my own self. But in years past, I've been straight traditional where if a guy gets on, I'm going to that blocking position. And I've had the luxury of and the God-given gift of having good hip flexibility. So I can still get in that traditional and get under the pitch. But at the same time, I think if you can learn how to do the knee down right, It'll help you in the long run, help you stealing strikes. But my advice for young catchers is to get really, really, really good at blocking in a traditional stance before you mess with that out with going with that knee down. Did did Brett teach you that? You know, we talked about Brett Austin. You mentioned him before we started that you worked with him your first two years. Is that something he taught you? Was that before you got to school? So going, so again, going back to my dad, he's the one that taught me how to catch traditionally. Um, I got to school my, my freshman year, they put me on the knee down tradition, like the knee down setup, and it didn't really work out. So I went back to the, the traditional for the rest of my freshman year and sophomore year. And then Chris Hart, who's my catch coach now, because Red Austin moved on, um, he kind of had me like model my knee down after what Patrick Bailey does. And it's been working out really well. So I would say like all three of those guys have had like a huge impact on what I do catching wise. How in depth are your conversations with Patrick when it comes to baseball, big leagues, catching, like give us a little insight into the conversations you have with him. I would say like when I, cause he came back to school a couple of weeks ago, like my biggest like question to him was like, how do you like keep a positive, like a good mindset? Like I didn't even really get to into like the catching side of stuff. It was more like mindset wise, like what are you thinking? How do you get into that stuff? How do you work with pitchers? Cause I'm sure the big leagues is even harder than working with college pitchers. So like that was more of the stuff I asked him. Did he give you any answers that were surprising or do you feel like you had a grasp of what he was talking about? Um, His answers like, just like when things are going bad, don't like get down on it. Like just keep, keep focusing on your stuff. And like, if you're not hitting good, just throw that behind you and keep catching it as good as you can, because catching is a position that you can't focus on hitting. If you get really, really, really good at catching, then you'll find your way through. So that's like mainly his message to me. I'm a big props guy. Danny knows that. And uh, obviously like, you know, I remember this kid when he was playing at perfect game events, young, young <laughs> Jake Kozar back in 2016. And then there's, there's this guy certainly who is dad. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to, he has no idea that I'm going to share this with you. And, and, you know, you guys have a great relationship, so it's not a big surprise, but my question to him was simple. And then I'll play it for you. And I'd love your response on the backside. 
So you're now the parent of a young man who has become a top draft pick, you know, possibility, a guy who's played his way into the conversation. And uh, so now as a dad who's coached for so long, who, you know, had similar dreams, who as a parent watches his son go through that, uh, how have you handled it? How have you and your wife handled it? And Jacob, here's what he said. You know, you don't want to use cliche terms like surreal, but I remember sitting there um, when I scouted the USA trials this summer. Um, and you know what? In game four, he had he did some things, lead off home run or, you know, home run his first at bat and then left on left. He he took a one two fastball that was 96 miles an hour out over the plate and hit it back up the middle at like 108. When I thought I'm sitting there in the back of my mind saying sit soft, sit soft, because the lefty on the mound had a mid 80 slider. Um, and it, it was kind of one of those moments where I had to take a step back as a father and as a scout and say, you know what? This kid may have a legitimate shot of being a first round pick. Um, and it was, it was, you know, chilling. Uh, it kind of sent tingles to your body because I was sitting there with a hundred plus scouts in every front office and attendance in the stands. And you could hear the murmurs in the crowd. So, um, you know, that for me and Michelle uh, has been a lot of fun, obviously tremendously proud, but you touched on the focus part of it. And what I keep preaching to Jacob is stay between the lines, stay between the lines, right? Uh, focus on the process, focus on what happens between the lines and focus on what you can do to help your team win, right? It's no coincidence the LSU Tigers won the national championship last year and had as many draft picks as they did because they played so deep, right? Um, so, you know, you can't control what happens outside the fences, outside the lines. So stay focused on that process and stay between the lines. No, that's something he's pretty like ingrained into my DNA as a player, like focusing on what you can control and being the best teammate you can be, helping your team win, doing everything you can, doing the little things to help those guys. But like hearing him talk about that stuff brings me chills as well because like that guy, I remember being a little guy back at Orlando or Vito, Florida, hitting, hitting these little tennis balls with a tennis racket, trying to learn how to hit. And he's been with me ever since then. So, like, hearing him talk to me about me like that, just that, that warms my heart and makes me the happiest kid, happiest son in the world. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's very cool. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, I don't know that, it, you know, again, you guys, great communication as a family. Kudos to your mom and dad, but all you guys um, for staying, you know, close to one another. But that, that has to be interesting to hear your dad say that he got emotional watching you play and then open up his mind and say, oh, I was worried about this breaking ball, but then he made me look bad by his skill set. <laughs> like he was able to, so that had to be cool to, to hear you, that your mom and dad, you know, with all the work that mm -hmm. they put in, you're giving them chills, man. That's pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, incredible. Sp speak to mom real quick, if you don't mind. Speak to mom. I know I stole Danny's question, but she can take it deeper. She's Love got a great mom. relationship with Michelle. Um, <laughs> but just take it wherever you want. Maybe the last great thing you learned from mom, you know, you know, you're, you're a grown man now, a grown man relationship with his mom. Speak to your mom, Michelle. No, I would just say thank you to her for all she's done for me, taking me to travel ball games, taking me up to the field at 8.30 after I had it over a day at the at the plate like if I had a bad game dad would text me I'm at the field come on up mom would not hesitate to hop in the car and take me up there and still have a warm meal at home waiting for me so everything she did for me like I know my word 
words isn't enough to say thank you for what she's done for me, but I just can't thank her enough. And also she to try to keep Sam under control for his next couple of years and also Dizzy. So, um, yeah, I would just say thank you for everything. And I know it's not enough, but I just want to say thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan. I feel like she takes care of me. She's got, you know, three boys plus, plus cozy and we'll be, we were just in Jupiter. I just saw her in Jupiter and she's making sure I'm okay. And, and, you know, checking in with me, it's, she's just a phenomenal human being. And, um, I think that's, what's so special about travel ball and, and this sport is the relationships. It kind of goes full circle, right? You're talking about how important they are to your position, but how important they are in our sport as well. And she's such a bright light. So I know she's soaking in the, the last travel stuff with Sam as well. I mean, have you guys ever had a conversation about what it could be like to play together at the big league level? That's probably my last question for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mazzo told me if all I need for you it's just to buy me a RV so I can follow you around. And if you give me an RV to follow you around, that's that's all I need. I'd be the happiest. I'd be there. I'd cook for you. I just need an RV. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I Listen, Jacob, I'm really grateful we got a chance to catch up. I know it's a big season ahead. It's really exciting. Obviously, the team is exciting as well. So a lot to look forward to next year. But I really appreciate you giving us some time. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is awesome. I love catching up with y'all guys. Danny, you and I always talk about people that we run into in the sport, whether it's a 14-year-old, have 14-year-old's family, a veteran coach, a travel ball coach, a scout. We, we talk to people uh, we get to know, but you and I will always pass back and forth. Man, you would love them. You would learn from them. They were great. ABC is why. I felt that way from day one about Tracy Smith when I met him, when he was coaching at Indiana when he came out to ASU, and for my money, didn't get at all a fair shake here in Arizona where I'm based, at all a fair shake in Tempe, Arizona. I'll just leave it at that. But he's a glass-half-full guy who drives in the lane that, that isn't uh, the blame game lane. He takes the, the lane of the road less traveled and is positive and is optimistic. I know that lane, too, and that's maybe why I respect him. Um, so Tracy, we joined him. He is now the head coach of Michigan, second year. Hunter Pence, you know on Perfect Game College Baseball, Hunter gets his notebook out, he makes notes. Here's a little bit of Hunter Pence and Tracy Smith going back and forth, and we may even sneak in Tracy's thoughts on some of the current situations on campuses in Michigan as well. Yeah, Tracy, you definitely can imagine, you know, the overhaul is is massive. And, you know, uh, you, you're looking at, at your office, we, you haven't even decorated yet. You're, you're busy getting your hands dirty, and I love that. You, you got one plaque up there. I'm not going to – I'm not trying to throw shade here, but uh, I, I know how much work goes into that. Now, this fall is exciting, though. You, you kind of know your way around. You're getting some of that, uh, you know, your your culture, your stamp on it. Uh, has how has it gone so far, and what's most important for you to develop this fall uh, amongst the, the Michigan Wolverines? Well, I, I think with everybody, and you probably talked to the new landscape because this was new for me with with the recruiting of the portal. You mm -hmm. know, how do you navigate that, and what does that do in terms of your makeup of your team? Do you recruit guys out of the portal? Do you go the traditional high school route? Um, I will say this: like I, I really, because of need and the timing of things, like we navigated the portal more on the position player side and and picking up some really really good players guys that you know that we're excited about so whereas i thought we were going to be super young 
Um, we're actually pretty veteran group on the position player side. Now that said, we didn't go as aggressively in the portal because we went out and signed quite a few high school arms and some junior college guys. So if I look at our team just in general, I would say we're probably more advanced on the position player side than the pitching side right now. Not that we can't make that up, but that was something that stood out to me after watching the falls. We're, I don't want to say behind. It's either we're behind on the pitching side or we're a little advanced or ahead on the position player side. But I want to see that more balance out because I really, really like this team and think we can do some damage on the national scene this year. I really do. That's it. That's exciting. And I always thought about that whenever you're like playing and fall against yourself, you're like, well, someone's got to win. So like the pitchers and hitters, like you're either, you know, does it mean that our our pitchers are bad if our hitters are hitting or our hitters are bad if the pitchers are winning? It's a, it's a weird conundrum. And, and it's, that's why it's so fun to play another team. You get a, a better feel. Now who has stood out? So you're mentioning some of these, uh, you know, the offense playing well, has anyone looking like they've made a big jump or, or just pr- primed and poised to have a good season? Uh, who's really stood out amongst uh, your players this fall? Well, I mean, Will Rogers, a transfer, actually a kid that we recruited um, from Air, at, when I was at Arizona State. And Darren, you said hiatus. I called it my sabbatical. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Will Rogers, a transfer from Arizona State, had a phenomenal fall for us. I, I um, couldn't be more happy with the addition of him, not just from a defensive standpoint. He's got an absolute plus-plus arm, but offensively, really, really good. The the one thing we, we lost a transfer shortstop last year in Cody Jeffries kid we had from San Diego and we were not able to secure one on the underclass side. So we hit the portal again and, and um, picked up Kyle Dernetti uh, from Oregon state it was a two years last year, two year starter for them and uh, has played in NCAA regionals. And, and what I most impressed me about Kyle was we did our captain naming the captains here recently and we take input with the players and Kyle was named a captain, which is a really tough thing to do to make that type of impression on that team within, you know, just a few months time. Um, Steven Rustich, a kid uh, that was beat us up when we played Northwestern, a grad transfer, we secured him. And those guys honestly just had tremendous falls. The surprise got not a surprise, but someone that really rose on the pitching side was a freshman, Dylan Begue that we knew he had Friday caliber stuff, but as the fall continued to go on and you reference playing a team in a different uniform, we concluded fall ball with, uh, we played uh, university of Kentucky and we ran um, Dylan out there in the, uh, in, in the game. And he did a really, really good job against a tough sec opponent. So um, those are kind of the guys, but you know, it's a really balanced, balanced uh, fall. Oh, I, I, we had another, I, I didn't want to forget this one. Uh, Tim Brook from uh Mac Timbrook from a transfer from uh, Kent State. Did I love to sit here and say we were great recruiters, but he shows up in the summer, enrolled already in our graduate school. We knew nothing about him. Uh, well, we knew about him because we played, but I didn't know he was coming. He shows up on campus and actually had one of the best falls of anybody and is, is going to be our starting second baseman if we roll out there right now. So those are just a few of the names, but I could probably mention, you know, I forgot Mitch Voigt. Uh, All American from last well, yeah. year. I mean, Mitch Voigt is like he had a year last year. Like, yeah, you, we know Mitch Voigt's good. <laughs> well, we and I'll tell you, we we moved him uh, from third base to first base because we feel if we're going to do the things we need to do, we need to we need him starting for us on the mound. And he closed for us last year, but to manage his arm and put in a better position, we're, we slid him over to first base. Uh, Cole Caruso actually picked up a transfer from uh, UC Upstate. 
um, a highly touted guy last summer. So we, we, we love the infield, but moving Mitch, everybody keeps asking, why'd you move Mitch to first? It's more to manage his arm because we see him being a weekend starter for us as well. You talk about the big house and with so much attention being paid to Michigan because of Jim Harbaugh over the last week, for whatever that's worth, I don't want yeah. any comments on that at all. But, but what I've learned, what we have been reminded of is the community of the University of Michigan. We've been reminded of the family feel that you have there, that you look out for one another. That's been evident. It's just has been evident no matter where you turn on your device, whatever you're watching. Speak to me as you've joined. You're, you're, you're a year plus in now about the community, about the support, about the alums, how you can probably touch and feel them all the time there. Yeah, you know, I'm actually glad you asked that question. I was wondering if you would ask about you know, the current news. Um, you know, my my situation or my thought on that is, is, yeah, you can everyone can have a varied opinion on the circumstances of what, you know, we now find Michigan in. And the thing that I appreciated and back to the, the, the core essence of your question was the I read the 10, 10 page response that our athletic director put out to the gym hardball situation and just about the process and wasn't really defending the actions. And it's like, but what I loved is he was defending the process that is already established in the Big Ten, thus defending his coach. I also saw and was very in tune to the university president supported the coach in these trying times. And I think that's the part that stood out to me. The mo I literally was going to, and I haven't done it yet, but I wanted to reach out to my athletic director and the president just to say, look, I, I have no opinion and I'm not in the weeds of what's going on. But what I do recognize is the support that you are showing for an employee, a coach of the university, which as we know, that isn't always the case. And I think far too many times that public opinion or the outcry can sway someone's view of something or make them make a decision. And I, I've been really, really impressed with not just my superiors, the community of, of Michigan and how they've embraced this particular problem, but also this place in general. And I've said this before, like I've coached against Michigan for 11 years, two as an assistant, nine as a head coach. And I always used to kind of dismiss this we are Michigan vibe or this thing that they would put off that, um, you know, Hey, it's just different here. They would, you know, and I always hear that. Well, now that I'm here a year and a half, I can honestly say like, I get it. Like the, the sense of community, the sense of people that are willing to help the sense of protecting your own um, is felt and the networking vibe that happens and exists in Michigan. You know, I don't want to be one of those that says, Hey, it doesn't, exist anywhere else because I'm sure it does, but it is it is at a, a level that I've never been a part of or have never seen before. So when people talk about this place is different, you're this is coming from a I don't want to call myself a skeptic, but somebody that used to view it on the outside, I can tell you this place is different in a positive way. We are with Braden Montgomery. I'm so excited to be here with you, our amateur hour podcast. And this is preseason going into junior year. And you have gone from Mississippi to California and now to Texas. You are back in the South. And I want to talk about the South. I want to talk about Texas A&M. And I'm so excited for this next step in your journey. But I want to reflect for a moment because I love Dave Esker. I, I love that you chose to go to Stanford to start. I know that you have a, a working mind and a thinking mind. And I know that was such a great fit for you. And sometimes our fits change and shift and and we we are allowed to make different changes. And so I'm excited for your future. But if we could reflect for a moment, going to back-to-back -back college world series, 
having the chance to be at Stanford to to be in that program. What do you take away from your two seasons there? It was awesome. I mean, it it, um, it molded me into the baseball player and young man that I am. Um, I, I feel like I gained a lot from being there. I mean, um, mentally, the being the biggest, um, I just, I matured a lot going there and found a lot of best friends. And that was, that was probably the the best part for me, just having those, those relationships that all that supersede baseball. Um, so it's, it was awesome getting the chance to go there. I love all that. I think those things are really important when you're kind of building towards something. And for as long as we've known you, which is a long time now, you've always been forward thinking and just trying to put the pieces together, I feel like. And also taking your time. You've never I, I feel like you've never felt like you had to rush into what is coming for you because there's always been a plan you are a man with a plan I have felt like and so you know you've taken these pieces now from Stanford in your two seasons there you have incredible postseason experience you played against Texas A&M in the regional last year which I think is so ironic and I'm sure you'll be asked about it a lot but now we go into junior year and you're still a two-way player and I think that that's really exciting. I think more than ever, we've seen the rise of the two-way guy and the success that can be found. So what are the pieces coming into this season that you are saying, these are the things that I've been working on and these are the things you're going to see that have changed about me? Right. Um, I mean, obviously, I've worked really hard on on the pitching this fall. I mean, getting in with, with Max Wiener and just being able to be around him has been awesome. Um, he's been such a pleasure to have and such a great leader to these young guys. Um, it's, it's been awesome. And everyone's going to see that with our whole pitching staff this spring. I mean, all of our guys are just going to be, we're going to be dogs and we're going to dominate the zone like he preaches. And it's, it's going to be a, a sight to watch for everybody for sure. You've talked a lot about how you've grown and, and, you know, we've gone over, you know, where you started and maybe feeling like people saw you as undersized and not necessarily saying, you know what, I am, you're right. No, you're like, actually, I might be, but we're going to take this into our own hands and change some things. So if you have the numbers, if you don't, irrelevant, but... I, I would ask maybe over the past three seasons, the past two seasons now going into your third how has your body changed specifically? Weight, muscle, um, how you're able to move it mechanically, how you can move it flexibility-wise. How have those things changed? Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like I I kind of have just like been gaining weight at like a steady pace. So, I mean, I think I came in college and I was probably 195, maybe. And now I'm I, I weighed myself yesterday, I was 222. So I've put on a lot of weight. Um, the good guy. Always been, yeah. <laughs> and then I've always been, uh, I've always been pretty mobile, and so I feel like my my flexibility, my mobility has been great. And I've just, I've been making gains in that way, but I feel like I've also been working on gaining some stability because sometimes that that mobility can be not the best. Um, right. And so that's something I've been focusing on recently. Um, but yeah, it just feels like 
every day my body's been moving better and better. I mean, it's being able to work with such great strength guys that I've had the pleasure of working with. It's, it's mm -hmm. been awesome just to, just to get in there every day and get the work in, honestly. Was there anyone at Stanford that you felt like you connected with really well on the pitching side, as far as your teammates go, that you feel like maybe clued you into some habits that you hadn't thought of or some routines that you are now going to implement this year? Yeah, definitely Quinn Matthews. Uh, he was, <clears throat> he's an interesting character, but he was, he was an awesome leader um, and he was great, a great guy to have around um, for, for my two years. Uh, he, like I said, was interesting, but he knew something and he was a really good pitcher. He is a really good pitcher. Um, so he, it, he was fun to, to learn from, um, maybe not talk to as much, but watch. <laughs> Observe. Yeah. Gwen might not, he might not be one that's willing to talk more about what he's doing, but it's, it's definitely fun to watch him and, and see what he's doing. Cause when he's, when he's getting his work and he's, he's as locked in as anybody um, and he, he takes it really seriously. So that's just, it was really cool to be around. You're a Southern guy. And so you, you are kind of going back to the roots a little bit, but California guys, as you know, because you played in the circuit, you played travel ball, you know, the California guys are all on a different wavelength than we are. And that's great. <laughs> yeah. It is no knock, but they just are. And yeah. so now you, you had two years to soak that in. So now you're in Texas so give me first impressions of being on campus, being with teammates, playing around guys who are a heavy dose of Texas. Yeah, it's it's been crazy and it's been really different. And the, 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 the most notable thing is just the 12th man. I mean, it's the fans are way different and the football into it. And it's just everything is crazy like I wasn't expecting to have what 4,000 people for our fall scrimmage at home <laughs> crazy um it, yeah it's it's a whole different world and the talent on our team is unbelievable um yeah it's it's it was just kind of overwhelming I guess at first would be uh my first take of it but yeah. I mean, every step of the way has been awesome. It's it's a great staff, like you were saying earlier, and the group of guys is awesome. Um, yeah, everything just kind of exceeded my expectations. So it was it was awesome. Take us on the mound with you to start, and then we'll go in the box. But on the mound to start, you you've talked about how maybe you're more of a natural hitter. That that is something that you have been doing a lot longer. There were more breaks in the pitching and you came back to it in early high school. So on the mound, what will we expect to see from you this year that's different from last year? Filling up the zone with more pitches, um, dominating the zone with more pitches. Um, it's I've been really working on advancing that, that feel for my changeup because, I mean, I've always loved it. I just haven't thrown it as much um and so it's that's been a a big a big thing for me um and yeah like I said earlier Max is he, he's big on dominating the zone and so that's what we're gonna do this year is it a, a pitch grip is it an arm slot is it how you're using your body is it spin what what will we see like I'd like to hear a little bit about the evolution of the changeup if you could 
give us the inside on that and, and be detailed with that answer. Right. Yeah. Um, well, in our training, we use um, TrackMan very much so to kind of shape the training, but also not like live and die by it. And so it can help to kind of manipulate the tilt on that change up. So turning your hand a little bit more to the side to kind of kill some of the, the vertical and make it more, more down, more depth. Uh, so that's something I've tried to manipulate a little bit. And then really it's just been finding the repetition and doing it, doing it and getting used to it and just seeing it, seeing the shape of the pitch in my mind and visualizing it before I throw it and then executing. Do you, do you watch certain players who you feel like they have a good changeup, whether it's in college or at the big league level and, and try to take a piece or two from them? Um, kind of, but over my pitching career, it's changeup has been always more of like a feel pitch for me. And so I can gain from watching and listening to others, but I really learn the most and get get the most out of it when I'm actually just kind of working through it and trying to feel it out or kind of trying to feel how my fingers are on the ball or whatnot. Um, yeah. Are you excited to have developed into a two-way player? Because I think it's always kind of been there, right? And and I think in the beginning, every guy wants to be a two-way guy. Who doesn't want to be a two-way guy, right? Like it's the best of both worlds. It just doesn't always pan out that way because, I mean, you've talked about it, the amount of work that goes in on both sides, by the way, you're also a student athlete, you know, by the way, now you're in a whole new environment. So there's a lot, of, there's a lot going on and you are trying to manage it all. So yeah. how, like, how do you, how do you, maintain being excited but also knowing the work that goes in to actually be successful at both yeah it's tough but I mean I don't know I just what's I the key <laughs> what's the key for you is it a person is it your calendar what's the key for you um I guess it's just like that that deep love and desire for for doing it I don't know it's just something in me just feels fulfilled by by doing it and by working on it and by constantly doing it and improving at it um yeah I mean I just I enjoy putting the work in and it's enjoyable to watch myself progress and yeah I think that's worth it I'd have to imagine too, some of that comes from your family, right? You, you come from a big family, an athletic family, mom, your stepdad, your dad as well. You have three siblings, a, a big family. What is the dynamic when it comes to learning from them or trying to maybe understand why they were successful at the college level or how they were able to um, grow in their respective sports like what's the connection there with your entire family and then you right I guess what I mostly go for them um, about is I guess just mental stuff um, yeah. how to deal with certain failures or how to improve in certain aspects mentally um, just because I know they have that that wisdom and experience um, but yeah they're but then sometimes I just need to talk to them and just kind of 
have that have them be there for that um yeah that's it's good to have them there yeah how about mom mom gretchen right and yeah. and what kind of what kind of stability has she provided for you yeah i mean it's she's been an anchor for my whole life for everything i mean from elementary school projects to everything she's <laughs> she's been awesome I mean she's so smart and so supportive and she's just been there for for everything I've needed every step of the way um and so yeah it's it's hard to 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 find what she hasn't done for me um so it's it's been awesome and she's been She's been there and she refuses to not be there. She she will be at all the games that she can be at um, and will be there for whatever I need. And so it's it's awesome. Oh, my goodness. You're going to make me tear up here. That yeah. is that's an exceptional answer. Well, you're a little closer to home now. So yeah. I, I'm is the family still Madison? Yes. OK, so I'm guessing they were excited about the decision to transfer yeah yeah and so now they get to be here a lot which is awesome yeah have some some extra support right have the family yeah. in the stands for more games yeah oh my gosh I love that I want to ask you I think I just have two more I wanted to ask about your arm strength I I, I wrote that down in my notes how are there drills that you have been doing that you've stuck to I know you know when when we talked to you in high school you had a trainer is it G-Force? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like you, you've you just like always gone all in. And and I know that that I'm sure your family has also been a huge part of that and supporting that and you being able to do those things. And that's evolved as well. But the arm strength plays roles in so many different ways, especially when it comes to being and growing stronger and being a better pitcher, right? So what, what's been the keys for you to make sure that your arm is where it needs to be so that you're, you're not just out there as a pitcher on a college team, you're a competitive uh, pitcher. You are putting yourself in a position to be drafted at some point. What are the keys for that? Right. Um, I'd say, <laughs> throwing a lot and I mean being able to what's a lot uh every day um okay. not not being disciplined enough to not take days off and especially not multiple days at a time um and then also <clears throat> long tossing I mean I get in my my high volume high intensity throw days and I'll long toss twice a week um and build that arm strength by pulling down um, so that was that was always a big, big part for me in my high school career and has just become um, a bigger part of me when coming down here this fall. Um, and so I'll do a lot of long toss and then those will be those days will somewhat be replaced when I start getting off the mound again and do the bullpen days. Um, but, yeah, long toss has always been a a big part of building up that arm strength and just building my arm back up in general. Okay. Last one. And we talked about this a little bit before we started, but the, the regional against Texas a and I'm, you know, I'm going through, I'm looking back through the box score. I'm looking at not only what you did at the plate, then I'm looking on the mound too. I think it was 
the decisive game. Let me make sure I have the right one pulled up here. Yes, you're nodding. I can see you nodding your head here. Hold on. Let me find this box score here. Where is that? There you are. Okay. So in this game, was this a decisive game? You shook your head yes. So you pitched two and a third innings? Yeah. Okay. You came in relief, struck out three, gave up a hit, gave up a run, yada, yada. But, you know, you impacted the plate, impacted on the mound, and now you're going to school here. What have you, have you had to take anything? Have you thrown it back? Like, give me something good here. Give me something good. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, the spade in my back pocket that I can always pull out whenever. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely won me a few conversations. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I get to hold it over everyone's head. It's, mm-hmm. I just kind of get to sit on this, this pedestal where. <laughs> well, I'm sure they're glad that you're on their side now, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. <laughs> Have you bought cowboy boots, cowboy hat? Like, have we leaned in? No chance. No chance. I told him that's that's one thing I cannot do. We're going to talk in six months. We're going to talk in six months and see if that's changed. Okay. We'll see. I mean, I might have to put on some Tim's. That might be the only boots I put on. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> I'll need a picture for sure. I am. I'm so excited for you. I'm, I love the path that you've taken. I'm always grateful for your time. So thank you for giving me a few minutes. Of course. Thank you for having me. So it's ep 45, but that's ep three of this school year, Danny. And it's been Jack Caglione, Nick Kurtz, Travis Bazana, Brody Brecht, Braden Montgomery, and then Jacob Cozart. I think what's fun about it, and I'm not about patting all of us in the back, it's the work you've done and the communications that you've put out there. These could be the first six picks in the draft. You pick the order. You pick the order. It doesn't matter. They're all going to be in the top... 25, let's say, in the first round, but they could be the first six. And what I've loved that they've all had in common is the maturation through college. They've taken the college experience and grown through it. Even even a player who transferred through the portal, which I think sometimes gets you know passed on and not a positive light. Here's an athlete who did. So there are different types of athletes. And, and there are, man, he was great from the get-go. I mean, that's Montgomery. I mean, he was a PG All-American. You know, geeky baseball fans like you and I knew who he was at 14, 15 years old. But then there were others who people knew nothing about. No one knew who Travis Bazzano was. He's from another country. You know, you you talk about what Brecht has become. Caglione and Kurtz through their college experience and how they've grown, these athletes. So some have used college hardcore to develop. Others have developed in different ways. These six that you have put together in, in these first three shows are incredible. And I love what they all share in common, using the college world and the platform and how the game has evolved, the finances now within this game to their betterment, but doing it with a good attitude. It's not a me, me, me. They're sometimes uncomfortable talking about self, but I love these six guests that you've had to start the school year. I also think they share a common thread of self-awareness and the desire and the passion to learn their weaknesses and then get better. And that is a trait that is hard to come by. We see it more in sports, obviously. But imagine wanting to be told all the time what you could be better at or what you're not good enough at. And if you want your dreams to come true, 
you've got to get better at them. And these guys hear it all the time. And for Braden specifically on this episode, you mentioned maybe the walks and he's well aware of that. And one of the answers to the questions that you heard was talking about pounding the zone and making sure that he's filling the zone up. And so he's hyper aware of that about himself. Jack Caglione is the same way of being able to erase what happened at the plate and go out and pitch and be able to focus on that and maybe not get too caught up in one or the other. And, and Jacob Cozart trying to be the best pitch framer that he can be and, and learning to have offensive power along with his great glove and knowing, knowing his role and his communication and how he communicates with people like you have to you have to learn the worst parts of yourself to be the best and I think that's what all of these guys have and they've all gone to college and been surrounded by fixtures in the sport who are willing to teach them and and they've soaked it up you don't hear them complain about being told those things or or whining that they have maybe some of these holes in their game they seem excited that they get to fill them up and the chance to be better. That's what I think I love the most about the conversations is just being honest about, Hey, I wasn't good at this, or this could have been better. Here's how I've worked on it. That's pretty incredible. If you think about these are 20, 21 year old, 22 year old kids. And so I just appreciate that. And that's what's coming at the big league level. That's why you have rookies who are making such a big impact at such a quick rate more than ever, I think I've ever seen this year, you saw rookies impact. And that's not a mistake. That's not because the team was desperate. That's because they're that good. No, it's true. And they're going to get there quickly. Nolan Shannon, well, I love what you said, by the way. It, it reminds me, and I've, I've referenced this probably on every single show we have and every single platform. Um, when I On the day that I was interviewing Corbin Carroll and Mookie Betts on the same day for us, you know, and, and for Perfect Game, and Tori Lavallo popped his head in on his way to work because we were at a, a smaller room that we built out with lights as a studio right across basically from the clubhouse entrance. We were lucky to be there. And Tori popped his head in and introduced himself. I'd never met him before May. And he said very simply, hey, what are you guys doing in here? You know, kind of ribbing us. Lights were being set up. Well, I got a couple of interviews. Who are you interviewing? Mookie Betts and Corbin Carroll. <laughs> and he's been with both, obviously, his time with Boston. And he said, wow. Um, two good guys to get, and I told him it was for perfect game. I told him it was more for, for amateur eyes, per se, and we are going to talk about their amateur journeys. And he said, you know what I love about both those players? He said, they both spend each day recognizing and identifying their weaknesses and then attacking them. Yeah. That's exactly what you just said. That's, That's exactly what you just said. Yeah. They recognize it, then they attack it. And, and, and it's interesting. We just talked to the legendary head coach, Jeff Johnson, uh, who, who is – who is uh, the coach of Chipola, one of the great Juco coaches yeah. in the country, a thousand career wins. And Hunter Pence asked him, like, what's the characteristic of a winner? You've had these big leaguers that have come through your time. And he said, confidence. It's you have to be confident, but it's not a false confidence. It's not, you know, it's not a bravado that you put up. It's a true confidence. And it takes the deepest kind of confidence to be, as you said, aware of your, your shortcomings and then go about attacking it. And, and that's what I think is cool. I do want to wrap and just celebrate one thing. Um, you know, 
a couple of players that didn't go to college. Anthony Volpe didn't go to Vanderbilt mm. uh, when he was in the class of 2019. Instead, he was ranked 25th by perfect game and ended up going the first down to the Yankees. Corbin Carroll didn't go to UCLA. College wasn't the right fit for those guys. But I think it was really a time to celebrate. You and I were with Anthony at the Gold Glove Awards in New York. We spent mm. time on and off. You saw Corbin on the field during the postseason. I spent time with him during the season. Uh, having an in-depth conversation with them. But I think it's a celebration of young baseball when those two guys who were mind and body first, meaning mind and studying of the game and character and how they treat people first, along with working on their skills, are being heavily recognized as we record this podcast. It's awesome. It's so cool to see and to know that when you – see how hard it is to even make the big leagues and then to see these two in their rookie seasons achieve something like that. It's, it's really, it's hard to explain, to be honest, because like you just watch them at these events that sometimes they're closed events, sometimes they're open events and you, you watch them prepare, you watch them have fun and you don't really know what the future holds. And here we are just a few years after getting to see them through perfect game and they're shining on the biggest stage. So it's very cool. Their families are incredible people. They've raised great young men. And that's probably what I would think they're most proud about is the kind of person they are and how people talk about that. Um, and then it's the skills and the talents. Anthony Volpe walks through the back room of the Gold Glove Awards on a Friday night at the Plaza Hotel. I was getting ready to interview the final guest that I was going to have for the evening. Um, I'm not, it may have been Brian Hayes, I'm not sure. But they make their way out the back, family, you know, smaller entourage, mom, dad, maybe representative, maybe family friend, I'm not sure. But I knew, I do know mom and dad were there and they were getting ready to take just a quick camera photo with someone's phone. And it was Anthony, and no disrespect mom and dad, but it was Anthony <laughs> who stopped the entire group, stopped the entire group and said, hey, 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 shh. They're doing an interview over there. Let's be aware of what they're doing. It was the 21, 22-year-old who was aware enough, talk about self-awareness, to look over here and say, this is going to be a fun photo, but Darren and Kid Brian are doing an interview. Let's be quiet. I'll just leave you with that. That's the kind of people that they are. That's the awareness. Hey, by the way, subscribe. Make sure you comment, share. Make sure you pass it along. And coming up on the next episode, if Danny keeps up on this pace, we're going to be joined by Jackie Robinson, Babe Ruth, and Abner Doubleday. It's a wonderful podcast. It's Amateur Hour, the best guest on the planet. Um, Danny delivers the best guest. Again, it's Double Day Ruth and Robinson as we drop the Nest podcast. Thanks for listening.